SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, it's weird to think that like we're this deep into the college football season already. Like week eight's done, and we're playing a reduced season this year. So like the offseason's coming fast and hard, folks, whether you like it or not. So uh, Joe Londrigan, Eric Henry here, excited to be chatting with you once again. Uh, Eric, how you doing today, buddy? I am doing all right, Joe. I have practiced all my proper conference usa slash sunbelt team references for lack of a better phrase i I have not checked the game notes i'm just doing it based on what people tell me i think we're all good right (laughs) when in doubt just refer to the mascot that's what i do (laughs) i'm with you brother Fair enough. Uh, with that, then, let's jump into uh, the Jacksonville State Gamecocks and the FIU Panthers from last week. Uh, a pair of COSA teams not exactly shining under the Friday night lights, but uh, so Jacksonville State winning 19 to 10 against FIU. Uh, you know, first of all, hats off to the Gamecocks. Very big day by running back Josh Samuel 25 carries for 163 yards and a touchdown. Uh, looked very good. Um, that being said, we're a CUSA podcast. So Eric, what'd you see from, uh, the team that you spend the most time covering for, for UDD and what is going on with the Panthers? Yeah. Well, let me quickly do the conference USA tie in here. Josh Samuel, former Western Kentucky Hilltopper, Josh Samuel, uh, had right. his best, yeah, his best career day as a topper against FIU and comes back to bite him again. Joe, this was the big thing. If you look at, I'm actually holding the game book right here. I'll read up a couple stats. First downs, Jacksonville State 26, FIU 6. FIU got three of those first downs in the fourth quarter. Uh, Total yards, here we got Jacksonville State 444, FIU 156. Net rushing yards, Jacksonville State 285. Uh, Florida International 72. Joe, FIU is really shorthanded this game. And I know it's actually going to be a situation we'll talk about later on the podcast because they had to cancel. The game actually just came out officially from FIU. We'll credit Brett McMurphy first for scooping that. And then FIU just made it official about an hour and a half ago. There were down, uh, Butch Davis said they were down 24 players. I actually had it, you know, a little bit higher than that, but they've had a couple guys get banged up in the game. They just are very shorthanded. And that's in addition to the passing game. When you combine Stone Norton and Max Bortenschlager, 7 of 19 for 84 yards, one touchdown. FIU hasn't thrown for more than 150 yards in a game this year. That's troubling. you know. So really, Joe, the biggest thing is the offense. The defense was out there for 81 plays, over 46 minutes of football. You can't ask a defense to go out there and defend. Week one, they were on the field for 41 minutes. Week three, uh, last week, 46 minutes. You can't ask the defense to go out there and defend for that long and the passing game. I mean, if they can't get first downs, the defense is just going to be out there forever. That's a really big story for FIU so far. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a brutal year, to say the least, for FIU. And it's, it's only going to get more brutal, as we'll dive into a little bit later in the show. But uh, with that, then let's dive into the other disappointing result for CUSA from last Friday. And that's uh, UAB losing to the Raging Cajuns 24 to 20. Uh, big day again for Spencer Brown with two touchdowns on the ground, 28 carries and 128 yards. But uh, Louisiana just able to have a little bit more firepower at the end of the day. Uh, ultimately, really good, entertaining game between two teams with uh, some solid offensive talent, as well as just two of the 
all around just better defenses in the G5. But um, I don't know. For me, my takeaway was, you know, A, we knew Spencer Brown was going to have a huge day in order to put his team in a chance to, to win it. He did that, but ultimately just wasn't enough. Joe, here's the thing about UAB, and you know I've talked about this before on the podcast. You can go back to the last year of A.J. Erdley. They have to, and it's not that UAB necessarily gets bad quarterback play, although Bryson Lacero didn't have his best game, 10 of 23 for, you know, no touchdowns, two interceptions. It's the, it's not even the, the interceptions, excuse me, it's not even the inconsistency that really kill UAB in the passing game because they have a formula. If you can run the football, play efficient defense, which UAB has been able to do, more or less they're going to win games. And especially against a veteran pass or veteran quarterback like Levi Lewis, who's not going to do anything flashy. His numbers are 12 to 20 for a buck, 52, two TDs, but he's not going to turn the football over. That's what's really disappointing because on its surface, you would say, oh yeah, uh, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, ULL. I think I covered all my bases there, Joe. Um, You would say, okay, then they're the better team, right? But you can't say that necessarily coming away from this game because UAB's quarterback situation didn't really give them the best chance to win. And yeah, Lucero's a young kid, you know, he's making his third or fourth start. But the big thing is just keeping the football, you know, uh, with the possession of your own team instead of giving it away. I think that's really what killed UAB. Yeah, that definitely seems to be the case. Uh, You know, if UAB can really just get like, again, you you said it best. It's not that quarterback play has been bad. It's just been inconsistent. So uh, hopefully Lucero can kind of figure it out for UAB's sake there. Um, still in a decent enough chance to uh, contend for the CUSA West title, though. Uh, so not too much to worry about if you're a Blazer fan. Um, however, Western Kentucky, not in that same boat. Uh, a decent amount to worry about if you are a Hilltopper fan, unfortunately. That being said, they did get a victory 13-10 to 10 over uh, the Chattanooga Mocs on Saturday. Uh, Chattanooga playing their only game of the fall. WKU, really, here's what it came down to. Um, while Tyrell Pigram did lead uh, a decent enough drive towards the end of the game to go ahead 13-10 to 10, uh, with about a minute and a half left, Chattanooga then... Uh, returned the subsequent kickoff for a touchdown, but it ultimately got called back because the ref said one of the uh, wedge blockers signaled for a fair catch, which you can do. Um, if you go back and watch the replay of that call, it's it's pretty iffy. I'll, I'll just say that. But um, <laughs> that being said, they ruled what they ruled, and, and Western Kentucky are two and four, which isn't good. But it's it's certainly better than starting the year one and five. So, uh, I mean, my takeaway as someone who watches a lot of Western Kentucky football, I think you have to be a little bit concerned with the fact that, like, you know, I think they put a lot of, of faith into Tyrell Pigram, and while he's been okay, certainly hasn't been you know the the best quarterback that Western Kentucky's had over the last you know few years or so. Uh, Kivaris Thomas still dealing with some injury issues, and you know hats off to the defense for putting them in a position to win. But you know the wear and tear along the offensive line is really starting to show. Joe, I will go ahead and quote an old UCF game book from or the game notes from I believe it was two years ago, some point in time during the undefeated streak in which they would simply say, a win is better than a loss. In this case, for Western Kentucky, that's the situation. Yes. Would you like to beat Chattanooga by more than three points? Sure. But guess what? They could be like FIU. Excuse me. I always do that. Mix up FAU and FIU. I'm sorry, Panthers and Owls fans. You could be a situation where they take an L and they're one and five, 
with an FCS loss. And that would be really disappointing for the Tyson Helton era, especially considering the success they had last year. And I think on paper, regardless of the injuries that you mentioned, Joe, and I think this is kind of the feeling from FIU fans that regardless of certain injuries here or there, there should be enough talent at the skill positions to get the job done. And for Western Kentucky, that was the case. Gage Walker, it was good to see him break out a little bit. Still 17 carries for 88 yards. You take away the 38-yarder. Those numbers don't quite look that good as far as the yards per mm-hmm. attempt. But still, you know, it's good to see him heading in the right direction. And I think the biggest thing, Joe, is the quarterback position. Uh, you talk about Tyrell Pigram, not necessarily the best quarterback that the Tops have had over the past few years. Kavaris Thomas, you know, 12 of 17 for 59 yards. It wasn't like he was pushing the ball downfield either. Mm-hmm. Joe, I'm just starting to think with Western, you add up the losses, just offensively speaking. Lucky Jackson from last year. Uh, Jacor Pearson, he chooses to transfer out, you know, guys like that. It, it just seems as if Western Kentucky really is searching for an offensive identity. And thank goodness that, you know, they have a really solid defense or else they could be in worse shape than they are now. Yeah, absolutely. The the amount of departures they had at the wide receiver position definitely did not help things. So, uh, you know, hopefully – Craig Burt Jr. can continue to make uh, the kind of plays that he did on that. Uh, what ended up being the game-winning touchdown for him, he definitely had shades of Lucky Jackson on that play. So uh, we'll see how Tyson Helton can kind of move his guys forward after this game. But, um, yeah, definitely uh, had was about to throw something through my window when I saw Chattanooga return that kickoff for a touchdown. But uh, is what it is. Uh, Marshall beat FAU 20 to nine to keep their unbeaten streak alive. They're now five and zero. FAU just their second game of the uh, season on that one. So they're one and one uh, Marshall likely going to jump uh, inside the top 20. Thanks to that win. Grant Wells still doing what he's been doing so well this year. 18 of 31, 251 yards through the air, two touchdowns. Brendan Knox adding 101 yards as well. Uh, so, you know, I, I, there's not too much to say here. I think FAU, you, you know, if you're not able to play a game for as long as they were, you're going to be a little bit rusty. And uh, it's, you know, with how well Marshall's playing, they just look very hard to stop now. I, I have a hard time believing that anybody else is going to win the CUSA title at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd like to hold out hope that UAB, that there'll be some challenge there. And, and hey, you know, Joe, what I'm learning in, is in this 2020 college football season, I'm not making any guarantees, man, because, you know, with COVID and everything else, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, hopefully Marshall isn't affected by COVID uh, at all. But, you know, mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen. Here was the big thing, Joe, and, and I'm going to ask you this. FAU, it was reported they came to this game down almost 30-plus or 40 players due to injuries and COVID. You would have expected, at least I would have, that Marshall would have beaten FAU, especially given the fact that they're coming into the season, no Chris Robinson, you know, who's no longer with the program. Nick Tronti still a work in progress. Achilles Leroy, whether he will be back or not, we'll see. Was the 11-point win a little bit underwhelming for you? Only slightly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I might sound like a hypocrite on this, but, you know, a win's a win, <laughs> as we just got done <laughs> talking about Western Kentucky. Um, yeah, no, I would definitely say, like, it's a little underwhelming. I mean, going into this, I expected it to be a little bit more of a blowout. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think Marshall could have played better, but um, it. I still stand by the fact that I don't, think that uh they're going to run into too much competition on the way to at least the divisional title 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that you know can't be really debated. I mean, hey, MTSU, they they got another wild conference win. We'll talk about that in a second. But overall, yeah. I mean, just quick thoughts on the game. FAU definitely had their chances. There were a couple silly penalties that they had. There was one where Brendan Knox uh, was heading out of bounds. Uh, FAU defender came in there, you know, got hit a little bit late. That's one that you know kind of uh, extended the 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 didn't extend the drive, but pushed Marshall downfield. Little things like that. FAU definitely had their chances, but all in all. You know, you can't really overcome when your head coach is having to go out there and execute certain things at quarterback for practice. That's when you know you're low on body. So, you know, kudos to uh, Marshall for getting the win. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, another win for a team in green this week, Charlotte beating UTEP 38-28. to 28. Uh, About what we expected there it was a duel of uh, two good quarterbacks in Chris Reynolds and Gavin Hardison. Um, you know, I think UTEP have, have just kind of shown, like, how far they've really come with a performance like this. I mean, if at this time last year, like I think this would have been a, uh, a much more significant blowout, but um, decent win for Will Healy's squad as they kind of rebound from uh, some underwhelming performances the last couple of weeks in, <laughs> in the days that they actually got to play. Um, but I digress. Um, yeah, no, I think there's plenty of positive takeaways for this one. And if you're uh, Charlotte, you know, it certainly could be worse sitting at two and two. Yeah, Joe, from the UTEP perspective, they had their chances. I actually got a chance to watch most of this game as I was heading home from Miami Saturday. They really did have their chances, Joe. That offense, it was, a, if my memory serves me correct, it was a 14-14 game at halftime. Yeah, I'm looking at the box score right, right now. That's what it was. And then they had a chance to go out there in the third quarter and really you know, make that push, and their offense stalled. There was an interception. If you look at Gavin Hardison's stat line, 19-35, 204, two touchdowns, two picks. There was an interception that was just a sheer miscommunication between Hardison and receiver Jacob Cowing. I believe Lance McMillan was the Charlotte player, got the pick, but Cowing ran the wrong route. You know, he kind of came back and Hardison just threw a deep pass and it was based like a punt uh, for Lance McMillan getting the pick there. But little things like that, that just, they couldn't get the offense going. But the positive for UTEP, before I transition to Charlotte, the positive for UTEP, they, they're getting offensive production. Joe, how many times over the past two years have we talked about the UTEP offense and whether it was Kyle Loxley or uh, Brandon Jones or Ryan Metz, whoever it was, they weren't getting offensive production. You got 100 yards from Deion Hankins. You got over 200 yards from Hardison. And you got a 100-yard receiver in uh, Justin Garrett and then Jacob Cowing as well. So at least you see that offensive potential. For Charlotte, just overall solid win. Aaron McAllister has really been kind of my surprise for Charlotte entering this year uh, I didn't necessarily know what they would have I actually thought that I shot finger there he was their third string running back I thought he was a pretty solid back uh, I thought he might get some of the second team reps but you know I shot finger the guy who if, if he were five inches and 50 pounds bigger probably would be a solid you know, division one player he, he had to transfer down but Aaron McAllister eight carries 68 yards two TDs so solid game for him and uh, Dom Schaffner, they actually had a couple packages that they worked him in as well. But overall, you know, the guys showed up. Victor Tucker, 6 for 86 in the score. And kudos to that Charlotte defense once again, really kind of stifling the UTEP offense in the second half. That they did. And uh, speaking of things that were stifled, Southern Miss's more or less entire game, uh, Liberty 56 to 35 was the final in that one. Uh, Malik Willis accounted for seven touchdowns through six and ran one in as well. Uh, won't dwell on that too much because, uh, you know, it's a Conference USA podcast, but uh, <laughs> Jeezy Pete is Malik Willis were really, really good. Um, but Southern Miss, you know, things go from bad to worse. They're uh, one and four to start the year. Um, Jack Abraham, not uh, 
didn't turn in as good of a game as we've come to expect out of him. And uh, now Scotty Walden's gone. <laughs> so they are uh, literally just kind of grabbing people off the street to play on this team at this point, it seems like. Yeah, Joe, not going to go too extended on this game because Liberty is a really good football team. I and mean, kudos to Hugh Freeze. Had a chance to see them week one when FIU played them. Malik Willis is the real deal. That dude is – he's got decent size. I mean, I'm definitely be interested to see what his pro potential is. I guess from the Southern Miss side of things, definitely good to see Frank Gore Jr. You know, maybe if uh, Frank Gore this uh, Frank Gore Sr. can hold out for three more years, right? <laughs> maybe we'll get a little <laughs> Frank Gore Sr., Frank Gore Jr. action. But uh, all things considered, Liberty's just a really good football team team and you kind of expected that to be the result there a uh, good win for them we're going to be holding frank gore senior together with duct tape before too long but uh yeah no that would definitely be fun to see uh speaking of things fun to see we saw something very rare but very majestic the quadruple doink in uh <laughs> the rice middle tennessee game uh mtsu winning that one 40 to 34 in double overtime uh rice missing the uh potential game winner at the end of regulation by uh it it uh, like i said it hit the goalpost four times before rattling out um but uh you got to feel good for asher o'hara two touchdowns 333 yards through the air uh rice that was their first game of the season I'll give them credit for a team that's been off for as long as they have looked, uh, looked pretty good. Granted MTSU isn't the best team by any standards, but uh, I think fans who tuned into that one certainly got the uh, value for their entertainment dollar there. Yeah, Joe, before I get to the quadruple doink, which I watched that live and I was mind blown. I had could not believe what I watched. Kudos to rice because they were down early in the third quarter. I mean, MTSU really came out, Asher O'Hara, as you mentioned, came out, uh, played really well, kind of for over 400 total yards, four touchdowns. And Rice, behind the arm of Mike Collins, put a, a pretty furious comeback. I remember thinking while I was watching this game, man, Rice really misses Brad Rosner. And even when they were coming back down to uh, – coming back to uh, to score to uh, tie the game there, there was a pass or there was a play down there heading toward the end zone when I was like, man, they could really use Brad Rosner's size and a jump ball. And then right on cue – uh, Austin Trammell, you know, caught his uh, second touchdown of the game. I was like, oh, okay, well, they can just throw it to that guy again. So they're in pretty solid shape with him and Jordan Myers at the tight end position. Uh, I know defensively, Rice is missing a lot in the secondary. You know, Prudy Calderon, um, uh, I believe, got the start there, but I know they're missing. Um, of course, um, uh, his name escaping me right now. Of course, right when I need to know. George Nyakwal, there we go. I know they're missing him at safety. So uh, definitely had some deficiencies in the secondary. But all in all, you know, good win for Middle Tennessee, especially being on the road concerning the way they started the game. And they withstood all the punches, Joe, because people got to remember, the quadruple doink, that would have won the game for Rice. You know, that they, they had a chance to win it. And just by the luck of sheer physics, there are some Rice grads out there who I'm sure can figure that out better than I can. Middle Tennessee State comes out a winner. Absolutely. And uh, to round out the uh, Saturday slate, we had one more immensely entertaining game, and that's UTSA pulling off the upset, as I predicted. Just want to point that out <laughs> against Louisiana Tech. Uh, 27 to 26. What a game. Uh, Roadrunners, four and three now on the year. Louisiana Tech, three and three. Uh, Frank Harris. Two interceptions, so not the best day for him, but he seems to be relatively healthy, which is always uh, always good to see. And then uh, Sincere McCormick, 
talk about a workhorse 37 carries 165 yards three touchdowns for him so uh he obviously huge key to their success along with a a healthy quarterback as we discussed but uh yeah roadrunner fans have to be excited about how close they are to postseason eligibility here yeah, listen, I mean, before I talk about UTSA, Tech's another team that's really been banged up by injuries. You know, guys like Willie Baker, who suffered a torn ACL, I believe he's not going to be back this year. You know, Tech is really a team that if you're a, if you're a fan of La Tech, you got to be like, it's one of those what-if type things. Because, you know, Skip Holt, for whatever happened at USF, has been a very good coach in CUSA. And you know his team is going to come out, compete, and play well. The fact that they're 3-3 three and three, had a chance to go 4-2. and two, Tough pill to swallow, especially considering the fact that they were up by, I believe, two scores in the fourth quarter. Now to transition to UTSA. Sincere McCormick may be the best running back in Conference USA. He's one of the top running backs by the numbers in the nation. He's leading FBS football in rushing yards. You talk about 37 carries, you know, really led him back with his three touchdowns, two in the fourth quarter. And a big game from Tyke Ogle Kellogg. He's a guy for UTSA over the past two years. I've really had an eye on just because at 6'5, 215, he's a big body. You know, really kind of expected him to break out. But, of course, he may have been hampered by the quarterback situation, which had been a revolving door for the past few years. Now they've got Frank Harris in there. And I guess I shouldn't say that it's stable because it's still been a revolving door this year as well. We'd like to see a little bit better play from him. But all in all, kudos to Jeff Trailer. They're 4-3, and 2-1 and one in conference. So look out, Roadrunner fans. If uh, this weren't a COVID year, the Dome would be packed. <laughs> that would be fun to see a packed Alamo dome for a UTSA game. Um, before we jump into some week nine previews, a couple news and, uh, notes to talk about within CUSA. Uh, first of all, we kind of already mentioned this one, but let's talk about it a little more in depth. Uh, Scotty Walden has left the uh, Southern Miss football program, and he will be the next coach at Austin P. That comes to us from uh, Pete Thamel. Uh, Tim Billings will be the school's third head coach of the season. So, you know, we talked about things going from bad to worse uh, between all the injuries, the COVID opt-outs, um, Jay Hobson, leaving uh now scotty walden leaving like what else can possibly go wrong for southern miss here joe i'm gonna take a bit of a serious angle here and then take a bit of a fun angle here so the serious angle is just if you are a member of the southern miss program you gotta just be like wow this is these are the type of challenges that they say hey nothing can prepare you for these type of challenges in life like football right you you play for Three head coaches in the year. I'm sure that is a Conference USA record. I'm not sure where it stands as far as FBS is concerned. You have guys opt out. You're still trying to play a season. I mean, kudos to all those kids who are sitting there and, you know, really toughness out. A guy like Jack Abraham, right, who is considered to be one of the top quarterbacks in Conference USA, and he's just got all kinds of turmoil. And I understand it from Scotty Walden's perspective. You know, he the Austin P job comes up, and I, if my memory serves me correct, Joe, they are – playing a spring schedule or excuse me they're not playing a spring schedule so he needs to be there to you know hit the ground running and recruit uh so i understand it from that perspective and you know hey kudos to him for getting the job there's certainly a rising you know young name amongst uh college football coaches but yeah if you're a southern miss player i mean my heart just goes out to them here's the fun angle i want to take with it joe mm-hmm. don't want to wish this on tim billings uh, so seriously here you know but in the event that Tim Billings has to miss a game due to COVID. Uh, are your best candidates out there for to take over for a week, Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry? I mean, I <laughs> don't see why not. And if so, Joe, I'm just going to throw this at you, throw this at you on, on the fly. If you could coach 
a conference USA team or a player just for one game, one weekend, you know, for bleeps and giggles, who you taking? I know. I, I think I got to go Asher O'Hara. I feel like it'd be cool to just call the plays there and have some fun with him. Maybe go four verts a little bit, do a little option. I feel like that'd be fun. Who are you? Uh, who are you taking? <laughs> yeah. Asher's a good pick. Um, shoot. Man, I gotta go. I, I right now, based on current form, I'd probably say Brendan Knox. I mean, he's a hard nosed runner. He's fast. It, I'd take Brendan Knox because it'd be easy. Basically, you give him the ball, <laughs> say run straight ahead, and, and you see what happens. Um, buddy, with the amount of <laughs> shade we have cast on Southern Miss over the last two years, if we got the job to somehow be the joint head coach of that program, we would get run out of town the first day that would not go well. And you know, it, <laughs> I am a hundred percent agree with that assessment. Sir. <laughs> I'm glad we're aligned then. Um, another uh, note to talk about before uh, CUSA uh, previews for week nine here, uh, FIU and Marshall were slated to uh, go head to head in Miami this Friday night. However, that game has been indefinitely postponed because of COVID due to the fact that um, both these teams don't really seem to have open dates that line up likely won't be made up, uh, which creates an interesting scenario. Uh, that news comes to us from uh, Brett McMurphy. Um, but you know, man, we talked about FIU and kind of their issues with depth right now. If it really, it really can't get much worse for them on that front. Um, you know, Eric, what have you kind of heard about that scenario down there? Yeah. So, you know, the report from Breckman Murphy came out around noon. Uh, I talked to some people within the program and they are emphatic that while yet there, there's no denying, you know, Butch Davis said it post game last week that between COVID and injuries, they're missing, you know, about 24 guys. So there's no denying they're having COVID issues, but they were emphatic that, yes, while COVID is an issue, we just have too many players injured. Joe, it's not a good sign when you're starting left tackle and your leading receiver from last year are watching the game from the front row of the student section. That's where De'Antoni Demery and Shamar Thornton were last week. They are really banged up. And I guess the thing, Joe, that I, you know, why I want to talk about this in the middle section is just, this is almost like the worst case scenario for a college football team this year and that, when you look at injuries alone, you're going to have guys who get injured during a football season, but then you add into it COVID. It's just a tough break, man. And I just wonder at what point, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this for FIU or anything like that. It's just, you wonder at what point is it necessarily safe? I mean, look at it like this, Joe. I just think in terms of a player disparity, Marshall appears from what we know to be fairly healthy coming into this game. So let's say, and I'm looking at the participation report here from FIU, they normally play, you know, eight, nine, 10 defensive linemen, uh, eight, nine, 10 offensive linemen. Looking at it right here, they got 22 starters, probably about another, well, yeah, four, eight, 20, another 20, to, yeah, but 20, 25 guys. Looks like they only played about 45 to 47, 48 players here. Jacksonville State played more than them. So at what point is it when FIU only has a shorter of 50 players and they're playing a team was 80, 85 healthy. Is that even a, you know, a safety risk? And that was the thing that's in the press release from FIU is that they felt that just uh, the exact press release due to a shortage, the shortage due to uh, COVID contact tracing injuries, but a shortage of, of, of available scholarship student athletes. At what point does that become, you know, a safety thing, Joe? Yeah. I mean, Right now, <laughs> this is when it becomes a safety thing when you don't have enough, uh, you know, again, scholarship athletes to feel like to feel like, hey, you can field a 
a team that would give the number 19 football team in the country a you know competitive game and you don't want to put anybody else you know in danger like it's it's not been a pretty sight taking you know the on-field results out of the equation entirely just like you mentioned the amount of injuries and illnesses and everything that FIU's had to go through like you know I I know it is not in the DNA of any D1 athlete to give up and I but I don't think it's giving up for a program if you're just like we are putting people in danger for pretty much no reason if you're uh you know trying to line this up other than other than money which you know we can have that that's a separate debate but yeah, I think this is about as much as a program can realistically take if you're if you're down to the point where you don't even have, you know, uh, what is it? What what would you realistically need to play a game like forty four players, like twenty two starters, and then backups, and then yeah, probably if, something along those lines? Yeah, I was gonna say if you go twenty two starter, you would at least want to go too deep, and then you know you're gonna have in that in that player participation chart that I just read off. You know, you had three specialists in uh, Tommy Zosis, long snapper, and then your punter and your kicker. So you got to subtract those guys from your list. So FIU mm-hmm. was cutting a dangerous close already to begin with. Yeah, no, I think this is in the best interest of those student athletes and of the football program to just kind of take a step back and assess where they are from a health standpoint. So do not fault them for making this decision at all. Um, with that, then let's talk about uh, our Halloween slate of games. Uh, got quite a, a spooky slate. We have number 11 BYU hosting Western Kentucky. Uh, the Cougars favored by 29 at this point. You know, I've said it once, I'll say it again. Watch Zach Wilson play football, it's immensely entertaining. But Western Kentucky, I mean, we laid out earlier this week on the site everything that's kind of uh you know working against them from a from a staffing standpoint from a production standpoint in order for them to get better um if you're playing at the point where you just need to figure some stuff out you don't want to be doing that against the number 11 team in the country so byu are an extremely easy pick here yeah, this could be one of those games that you see Western Kentucky take it on the chin. And good job by you, Joe, in that piece, you know, kind of pointing out the different things that Western Kentucky is facing. I guess if you're a top fan real quick, you just want to see how the defense can fare against a really good BYU team and see if the offense can get going. But I don't think uh, playing at BYU is a formula for offensive success. Not at all. And you can catch that one at uh, 1015 Eastern on ESPN, by the way. Uh, And then in the noon slot, you have FAU hosting UTSA. Owls favored by five and a half. But, you know, I I am really on the UTSA, Sincere McCormick, Frank Harris, Jeff Trailer hype train right now. I based on what we saw out of FAU against Marshall, um, you know, granted Marshall, obviously very good football team, but I don't think FAU has the momentum on their side while they might have just a deeper team in terms of talent. I really can't discount how well UTSA are playing and just the kind of fight that they're showing. So I'm picking UTSA. Joe, if UTSA is healthy coming into this game, I'm going to take UTSA and that's no slight, no shade on FAU. I'm sure the Owls fans will be in my mentions, but Sincere McCormick, I think he arguably one of the top five players in CUSA going right now. And I I really love where UTSA is going. And the main thing is if FAU is truly as short, and I have no reason to believe that they aren't as short of players as they were heading into Marshall and trying to figure out a quarterback situation, I just think UTSA has more things going for them. 
Fair enough. Uh, UTEP hosting their uh, in-state opponent in North Texas at 2 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. Uh, UNT favored by just five headed into this game. Uh, Here's the thing. I really like what I'm seeing out of that UTEP offense. I do not like what I'm seeing out of the North Texas defense, um, regardless of, you know, um, their offense making significant strides since the beginning of the season. I think UTEP uh, pulls off the upset here. I'm, I'm just picking a lot of upsets this week, but um, based on what we saw, what we've seen rather out of, you know, uh, Hardison and, and everybody on that offense, I really think UTEP can pull this off. Joe, I'm looking to watch every single second of this game because I want to see Jason Bean versus the UTEP defense, see how they can respond. And this is a chance. You talk about signature wins. I know, please don't be my mentions, North Texas fans, because it's hard to say a signature win is going to come over kind of a struggling North Texas team. But this is a chance for UTEP to beat a legitimate Conference USA team. You know, they haven't been able to do that so far uh, in believe over a year so yeah give me utep and i definitely want to see how how it plays out but uh yeah i'm gonna take the minors fair enough uh i think this one is this next one is the toughest pick for me uh at 3 p.m eastern on espn3 southern miss hosting rice uh southern miss technically favored by one and a half heading into this game it's really tough to say while i think you know obviously rice doesn't have the you know, slurry of negative things affecting them that Southern Miss has had. I don't think you can discount the fact that, you know, I think Jack Abraham is the best player on this field right now. And Frank Gore is a close second. So I, for all of the flack that I give Southern Miss, I am going to pick them to beat Rice this week. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. It's really tough if Brad Rosner were on this team. I think that Rice would be a runaway favorite. Kind of liked what I saw Mike Collins in the second half do. If he can kind of carry that momentum over into this game, I think that'll be interesting to see. Definitely some solid running play from Rice and Blaze Aldridge. I think he is the best player on the field. No disrespect to Jack Abraham. He has a chance to really go and kind of take over that game and really affect the Southern Miss rushing attack. Give me Rice. All righty. On, uh, and then a big showdown in CUSA West. We have Louisiana Tech hosting UAB at 3.30 Eastern. UAB favored by 11 points. Uh, I'm picking UAB. I think Spencer Brown is, is just too hard to stop right now. I think they're a little bit deeper team than Louisiana Tech. We talked about the injury issues that they've been facing for a lot of this season so far. Um, if Bryson Lucero can put together a complete game, then I think UAB win this one fairly easily. Yeah, I'll make this one quick. Give me UAB. I just think that right now that program, I mean, and especially with Bill Clark, when's the last time you ever seen them have two losses in a row? Unfortunately, I don't have the exact stats on me, but it doesn't happen often. So give me the Blazers. Yeah, just a guess. I want to say it's been at least two years since we saw UAB drop consecutive games. So I I feel pretty good about their chances. And then rounding out the slate at 7 Eastern, we have uh, on ESPN3, Duke hosting Charlotte. Uh, Duke, not a great team by any stretch of the imagination. They're one and five right now, but they are favored by nine and a half heading into this game. Uh, If you haven't seen quarterback uh, Chase Bryce yet, he is a pretty pretty decent prospect he is thrown for uh, over 1400 yards so far and six touchdowns uh, i think charlotte can definitely keep this game competitive um i think they will uh you know cover the spread in terms of not losing by uh more than 10 points but i do think duke is is ultimately just a more talented team here 
Yeah, give me Duke. I do also think that this game will be very, very competitive. I think Will Healy's going to have his squad ready to go, especially considering the fact they didn't get a chance to play that North Carolina game. I think they're going to be pumped up to play an in-state rival, a team that's from a Power 5 conference. But at the end of the day, I just think that Chase Price will be too much. Fair enough. I wonder if Duke will uh, send Charlotte some powder blue uniforms to wear just to uh, give themselves a little extra motivation. But it should be an interesting slate of games. Looking forward to watching it and talking about it with all of you next week. Uh, Subscribe to the Underdog Podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. That would be super helpful. Uh, Spotify as well is always active for you to go and check out stuff there. And then, of course, underdogdynasty.com. We'll have uh, recaps of all the action from this week for you as well as some other fun stuff as we uh, start to put bow on this uh painfully short college football season uh but with that said uh thank you so much we'll talk to you next week happy football watching everybody